The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is February 22nd right now, which we're doing a current case, so could could matter in the end. Um, I, yeah, I don't think it will. I think not like everything, yeah, that's pretty much happened for now, unless some bombshell comes out. But yeah, I think hopefully we should be all right with this one. Yeah. Um, it's actually snowing here like a tiny bit, but definitely not enough to stick or amount to anything, but it was a little exciting to see it. At least you got a little bit of snow when we were talking about how it hasn't snowed at all the other week. It hasn't. It's crazy. Like it's it's snowing, but it's not like sticking to the ground at all. I can definitely tell the season change is coming. Like it's darker in the mornings and when it gets cool, it's really cool. So anyway I never actually even thought I'd say this but I am almost looking forward to a little bit this humidity is just next level (laughs) three months of it I think I think I'm nearly done I'll regret saying that in about a month or so but for now I'd like a little break (laughs) yeah it's the days are finally getting a little longer here the the sun's staying up past like five (laughs) o'clock past six o'clock now actually the sun used to it used to be like dark here at 5 30 and I was like this is so depressing I remember when I used to live in the UK and it would be dark. Like I would go get to work at, say, 9, it would still be pretty dark. And when I'd leave at 4, it would be still dark again. That's how <laughs> so I felt. Crazy. I feel in the winter a lot because I'll get to work at, like, 8 and it's still kind of dark. Like the sun, like, just came up or it's still kind of dark. And then by the time I would, like, leave at 4, like the sun would already be going down and be, like, dark by 5. That's so depressing. I know. And then people are like, why are we all depressed? It makes such a difference when you can just get a little bit of sunlight every day, I think. Even if it's, you know, not direct sunlight, just kind of, you know, not dark. I saw this thing. I don't remember, like, who. It was, like, some podcast where the guy's, like, actually, like, a doctor or something, like a smart person, said that (laughs) apparently if you, like, stare into the sun for, like, a little bit every day, it's good for you. But I was like, that can't be good for your eyes, though. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Like they, re- yeah, the benefits of sunlight, I feel, uh, you know, obviously I'm not advocating to go and lie in the sun all day, but yeah, a few minutes every day. And I do feel it makes you feel so much better. Yeah. Even when I like just feel shitty, just, just like going outside and getting some freaking fresh air. Yeah, absolutely. Like yesterday after work, I just felt so tired and drained. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to force myself just to go for a walk. And you do, you feel a lot better. Mm hmm. I was saying, I feel like I don't really have anything to talk about because we've been cooped up for like two weeks because Mike got COVID mm. at like the start of the month, but like still was feeling crappy and like testing positive for so long. So we just haven't really done much. I'm um, going to Ed Sheeran tomorrow night. I don't know if it's Ed Sheeran big there. I feel like he's huge here. I don't know if he's big everywhere. Yeah, he is. Um, so we bought tickets, I think, in March 2022. So this has been a long time coming. But um, I, anyway, long story. I found out another friend was going, and she's like, "Come with us. We've got a stretch Hummer, <laughs> mm. and we've got two seats in the stretch Hummer. So that will be fun. Something fun, you know, for a Friday night. Oh my God, party! Yeah, <laughs> should be good. And the weather looks good, so it's it's like an outside stadium. So at least I, I my husband yesterday bought us some ponchos just in case it rains, but hopefully we won't need them. <laughs> hopefully it's not too humid. 
Well, yeah, and I think it's actually meant to be like mild, like 25 degrees, which I think is like, I don't know, my conversions are probably off, but maybe 80, so not crazy hot, which is good. So yeah, exciting. Yeah, I hope I hope you have a, a great time and you don't get crush, <laughs> crushed in the crowd. Oh my goodness. We've got seats, so at least that's oh, a good. good. Yeah, I'm a bit old now for standing up. <laughs> yeah, I could never not have a seat. I know. I used to love getting in like the general admission and, you know, getting close, but now I'm like, no, absolutely no way. I either stand up the back if I have to stand or have a seat. No way. I could never. Like Mike used to be one of those people that would like go to shows and like be in mosh pits and stuff. Mm. And I was like, that's like my worst nightmare. I used to do it when I was young, like 18, 20. I haven't done it for years and years and years. (laughs) I've always had like a fear of crowds, so... Mm. Or just like, I think it's because I'm a little claustrophobic. So that's like claustrophobia in like a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always hot and everyone smells and is sweaty. Like it's disgusting. I hate it. Anyway, so this should hopefully be civilized. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't see Ed Sheeran fans being too fucking out of control. (laughs) I've seen him a lot of times before. I think this is maybe my third time or something, but he's such a good entertainer. One time I saw him at the Entertainment Center in Sydney, which has now been demolished, but it was such a good venue because it was small and it was literally just him on the stage with his guitar. He's amazing. Like this is more going to be like a stadium thing. So anyway, it'll still be good. I haven't been to a concert forever. I think the last time I went to a concert was Taylor Swift for like 1989, probably like 10 years ago, probably more than 10 years ago. I'm still waiting for her to say she's coming here next year. I know she's announced a lot of other places, but I told the kids I'd take them if she comes next year. Yeah, hopefully you get tickets. <laughs> Fingers crossed, yep. I'm going to see Blink-182 in May, which I'm excited about. That'd be cool. Yeah, I love Blink-182. And the tickets, they're pretty hard to get. I got them on the pre-sale. They're still kind of expensive for like okay seats. Because Ticketmaster yeah. fucking sucks. Do you have to use Ticketmaster there too? Well, we have Ticketmaster and Ticketek. So it's kind of what, like, they. Pro- I reckon they probably have 50 50 market share each. So this one I'm going to is Ticketek, Ed Sheeran's Ticketek, but they're pretty interchangeable with how shit they are. Mm. <laughs> I will say that, like, the Ed Sheeran one is different. So I actually bought six tickets because um, we've got some friends coming. So they're all digital tickets now. Like, you can't even print a paper ticket yourself to take in, it has to be on your phone. And like to share them, each ticket you put in the person's phone number or email address, it sends to them, they have to accept. Like it's it's actually this, I have to say this this seems like it's run very well. I can't even imagine though if your phone dies or what you what you've got to do. What a disaster. I know it's it always be. my fear, like you don't have service, so I always like screenshot them for things like that. And always when there's fifty thousand people, there's hardly there's any no service, service anyway. So I have yeah. added it to my Google wallet. So um yeah, my Apple wallet, sorry. So hopefully that will be all right. But, yeah, interesting how it's kind of evolving the whole ticket process. And, but still, yeah, they're always shit. You can never get hold of anyone. It's a disaster if you if you have a question or something. Is there like $100 in fees too for you? Like you'll, it'll say the ticket's like $100, but when you go to checkout, it's yeah. like $200. And they're like a booking fee. And I'm like, but, like you haven't done anything. I've done it all. <laughs> no one's got to help me. I've done it all online. It drives me crazy. Same. Anyway. All right, so do we want to talk about the Nicola update? All right, so just basically our episode on Nicola actually hasn't even come out yet because we're recording a little bit early today. But um, when we did record it, just I think a few days after, we learned that her body had actually been found. She was found in the river that we spoke about. I believe she was kind of found on the reeds. Um, it's like if you you should go and check out the blog just to get more of an idea about the river because it's not kind of a river that's on ground level like it's got banks that kind of go down so 
if you were just walking past, you kind of have to peer over almost to see what was in there, if that makes sense. It's like in like a gully almost. Yeah, a gully, a gully. Right. It's not like, you know, you just walk alongside the river and, you know, the, the water's at your feet. You'd actually have to go down a river bank in this area to find yeah. her. So she was found in the reeds. Um, they, this was just a few days ago. I think she was found on Sunday. So today it is Wednesday there. So just a few days ago, um, they've said that basically her death is being treated as unexplained at the moment. Um, they have also said that they had to identify her by dental records, which I, I don't think is surprising considering she was gone for three and a half weeks in the water most likely. Um, but mm-hmm. they have confirmed that it is her. They will be holding an inquest into her death in June, which basically is where they, I think an inquest, we've spoken about it before, is more of like a British or a Commonwealth thing. We have them here too. But when someone dies or is missing and thought to be possibly deceased, they do an inquest, which is where they kind of look into what caused the person's death, um, if anything could have been done differently. For example, if someone dies in a hospital setting or in a jail setting, they look at things that could change. Um, So we might hopefully learn more when the inquest happens. Um, One thing that's kind of been spoken about a lot is we mentioned in the episode about the SGI searcher, Peter Folding, who said that she was 100% not in the river when she ended Mm -hmm. up. That's where she was. He has come out and he has made a statement that he stands by his claims that she was not in the river when his team searched. He said that basically they weren't allowed to search the riverbanks and the reeds. He said for three days using high-frequency side-scan sonar, we thoroughly searched the riverbed and can categorically confirm that Nicola was not laying on the riverbed on the days that we searched. The discovery was not found in the river but in the reeds on the side, which was not part of our remit as the side-scan sonar does not penetrate reeds above or below the water. He said a riverbank and wade search would be the only way to search this area and we were not involved or tasked with that search. He said it looks like there's there's always a fall guy, it looks like me, but I'm not accepting it. I feel like the the issue, he's caused this own issue by saying she's 100% not in the river. If he hadn't have said that, he wouldn't be the fall guy. Um, I feel like he kind of got ahead of himself and he's like, we've done this amazing search. She's definitely not in the river. And it seems like she wasn't. She was actually kind of on the side of the river. But he, there was an unnecessary comment to make at the time about the 100% certainty about her not being there. Yeah. I wonder if that's like where she fell or if she fell into the water and kind of like washed up over there or if she just like fell into the reeds and just like no one could see her. I just can't believe, like one mile is, my conversion's probably off, but I think it's around two kilometres-ish. So like that would be a 15-minute walk or a 20-minute walk, depending on, you know, how fast you walk. So it's not like she was found miles and miles and hours away. She was found pretty close. Like when you look at an actual kind of map, the dot where she left and the dot where she was found is pretty close. So I feel like she must have surely eventually washed up in that area. And yeah. not and have been either stuck under something or just hadn't resurfaced. But it is interesting that they apparently searched the river. I feel like surely she wouldn't have been in the reeds the whole time. I don't know. I guess, I guess it's possible. But yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say when I've never seen the river really and like yeah. what it's like. Yeah. So it's kind of not an unexpected outcome. I think we kind of mentioned in the episode that we thought this was going to be what likely would happen. Um, you know, it's interesting that he's saying she wasn't there. So whether or not he's implying that she was put in the river or that she was just in the reeds the whole time and that's why she wasn't, you know, directly in the river. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of the inquest. I put, um, when I was editing the episode today, I put the clip in saying that they found her 
body. And it was like from the, the press conference they did about it. And they also read a statement from the family. And the statement from the family also like roasted everyone online for being assholes. And <laughs> two news publications. I know one of them was Sky News. I don't remember what the other one was. Because they were probably. like, <laughs> so it was probably. I don't think it was though. But um, they're saying how like, as soon as the news broke, and like, they asked for privacy, like, Star- Sky News was contacting them like personally on their personal phones and stuff. But. So yeah, a very sad, I don't think uh, it's not a totally unexpected outcome, but a very sad outcome anyway for her family. Yeah. Oh, and the, another thing they said that I thought was interesting was in the statement, they said how one day they'll have to explain to their, to kids. the kids why the dad was being accused and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and the thing, the sat like we've all you know we've said it before. The internet never forgets. The kids are going to be able to search when they're older and see all this junk on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just another layer of I guess grief and stuff to deal with for that family. Yeah. Um, all right. So speaking of sad stories, we're going to talk about another sad one today. We're going to talk about Lindsay Clancy today. She is the woman who killed her three children in January of this year in Massachusetts. And it's brought up a lot of um, discussions about postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis and how mental health is treated and how people seem to not be able to get the help they need and just everything surrounding that. Um, It's been an interesting one. And a lot of people have wanted to talk about it because it is not controversial is not really the right word, but a lot of people have strong opinions about it either way. Yeah, absolutely. It's tragic. Investigators say Lindsay Clancy strangled her three young children Tuesday night before attempting to take her own life. The 32-year-old mother is now facing charges for homicide, strangulation, and assault. Our community is, of course, reeling from the tragic events of last night. When the kid's father came home, he found his wife in distress outside and called 911. When police arrived, they found the kids inside. Five-year-old Cora and three-year-old Dawson didn't make it. Their seven-month-old baby brother is in a Boston hospital fighting for his life. Certainly our heart's condolences go out to the Clancy family. Um, I cannot uh, begin to fathom the expressive, uh, the, the pain, the depth of pain that must be going on. Sources tell the I-team Lindsay was struggling with postpartum psychosis, a serious condition that can cause hallucinations and delusions. She was on leave from her job as a nurse at Mass General. It was, it was not a good scene to see. Neighbor John Sullivan saw mom and baby taken into an ambulance. He says from the outside, the Clancy's seem like a loving family. We would see her, the mother, out in the backyard playing with the kids. During the summertime, she'd always be playing with the children. And, um, you know, everybody's in a state of disbelief. It, it is tragic. All right. So Lindsay Clancy, she was born as Lindsay Marie Musgrove in 1990. And we think she grew up in Wallingford, Connecticut. And her parents are Mike and Paula Musgrove. Neighbors have spoken about the Musgrove family since the news came out, and one of them was quoted as saying, her parents are wonderful people. They're very nice. Lindsay attended Lyman Hall High School in Wallingford, Connecticut, and in her yearbook, she wrote, I guess it was probably like a little quote, like some yearbooks let you have a quote under your picture or something. She wrote, no matter how hard you fight it, you fall, and it's scary, except there's an upside to free falling. It's the chance you give your friends to catch you. 
She then went on to graduate from Quinnipiac University in Hamden in 2012. Um, She got her bachelor's degree in biology, and she'd been working as a labor and delivery RN at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Um, She'd previously worked as a nursing assistant at South Shore Hospital. She married Patrick Clancy in 2016 in Southington, Connecticut. The couple settled in Duxbury, Massachusetts, and had three children together. They were Cora, who was five, Dawson, who was three, and the baby was Callan, and he was eight months old. They bought the house that they were living in at the time of the incident in 2018. So by all accounts, Lindsay was a doting mother. For Christmas photos, she dressed the kids in matching outfits. She posted a ton of pics of the kids on social media. One of her friends, Michelle Connor, who was on the cheerleading team with her at Quinnipiac, said she was always working out and going everywhere with her kids. She was that mom that you always wanted to be. When this was kind of unfolding, I had a look at her social media and her social media was literally all her children. Like it was just photo after photo of the kids. Um, You know, they just looked like a regular family. There's a photo I remember of her kind of leaning down with the pram with with the kids in it. Like it's... You know, she just seemed like she did seem, by all accounts, a very caring mother. In another social media post, Lindsay wrote, I feel like the luckiest mama in the whole wide world. So unbelievably thankful for this family and life. After Lindsay gave birth to Callan, she started to struggle with her mental health. Reports say that she didn't experience these issues after the births of her first two children. But six weeks after, Six weeks after the birth, Lindsay shared a post on Facebook about how she felt dialed in again. Lindsay posted that she was focusing on exercise, nutrition, and her mindset, noting that it made all the difference. But her condition worsened. At the time of the incident, she had been receiving treatment through an intensive outpatient program. Her defense attorney, Kevin Reddington, has spoken about the treatment she was receiving He said she consulted with a number of doctors who indicated that she would be able to sleep, she'd be able to feel, she'd be able to emote once these medications kicked in. In terms of the medications, Lindsay had been prescribed a mixture of SSRI antidepressants or specific serotonin reuptake inhibitors, benzodiazepine, and antipsychotic and anti anti-seizure drugs in the months leading up to the killings. So these included Prozac, Zoloft, Trazodone, Seroquel, Amitriptyline, Remarin, Valium, Klonopin, Advan, and Lamictal. So it's a lot of medications going on in one system. A short to, time, yeah. Yeah. Um, her case notes indicate that she was diagnosed with general anxi- generalized anxiety disorder. She was then evaluated in December when a psychiatrist said she did not have postpartum depression. And December was only one month before this all ended up happening. So it was quite a recent evaluation mm-hmm. um, before this happened, which is interesting. Yeah. Assistant District Attorney Jennifer Sprague spoke about journal entries that Lindsay kept regarding her treatment. Um, She said she detailed that she had difficulties with each of the medications that were prescribed to her. When she had issues with the medication, her doctor had her stop it or wean off of it and then try something else. She was never on more than four to five medications at a time, and at the time of the murder, she was taking three medications. She always took the medications as prescribed. I couldn't imagine being on that many medications, honestly. I feel like when it kind of came out that she had been on that, that list is a long list, but obviously the DA is like, no, she wasn't on that all at once. She was on it 
kind of like interchangeably yeah interchangeably so like I still have no doubt that it actually like imagine changing the baby was only eight months old so let's say she was medicated for six months even all those medications in six months is a long is a lot like it's it would be a lot to change and try and you know switch and the side effects of each one it would be no doubt a lot to deal with yeah like I also had been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder in the past so I've been on medications like not that many nearly. I think I've only tried two different ones really. But the one that I tried first, just starting one in general, like the side effects suck when you're first starting it, when you're adjusting to it, like you feel super sick and just awful. But then if you're on one that like just doesn't really work for you, you feel like extra awful. And it's hard to figure out if it's just like you adjust to a new medication or if it's not working for you. So you kind of have to suffer through it to an extent. So it's that's why I couldn't imagine just constantly switching like this. I feel like it'd be so exhausting. And especially also trying to look after three children, one of whom is a newborn baby essentially at the time. So yeah, yeah, it would have been an exhausting process. Yeah, because some of them make you, like the one that I didn't like, it made me feel like a zombie and I was just so tired. I felt like I had just like no emotions, and no personality and just everything was annoying because you just didn't want to like do anything. So yeah, definitely wouldn't be wanting to have little kids to take care of while feeling that way. So Lindsay kept regular notes on her phone, which was very smart of her. In October 2022, she wrote, I think I sort of resent my other children because they prevent me from treating Cal like my first baby. And I know that's not fair to them. I know that. I was feeling so depressed last evening when Cora and Dawson came home from school. I know it runs off on them. So we had a pretty rough evening. I want to feel love. I want to feel love and connection with all of my kids. In December 2022, Lindsay told Patrick that she was having thoughts of suicide and thoughts about hurting the children. She contacted her psychiatrist and then admitted herself to a mental health facility from January 1st to January 5th. Later in January, Lindsay told Patrick that she was no longer having suicidal thoughts. Around this time, Patrick spoke to a friend and said that he wanted to become more involved with his wife's treatment due to the fact that Lindsay was going by herself to a psychiatrist for a while and he felt that she was prescribed too many medications. On January 23rd, 2023, Lindsay wrote in her phone that she had thought that she had a touch of postpartum anxiety around returning to work. The day of the incident was January 24th, 2023, which was a Tuesday. So this is almost three weeks after she was released from the mental health facility she was in. Patrick had said that Lindsay seemed to be having a great day. He said it had been one of her best days and that she was smiling and happy and there was no indication that she was going to harm the kids. The DA said no one described her as acting like a zombie in the days leading up to the murders or on the day of the murders. I feel like they're just kind of reiterating that she seemed fine. She seemed like she was having a great day, which, you know, I don't want to speculate, but, you know, sometimes these things seem to have turned around when people have kind of a plan or an action they just they've decided they're going to take. Yeah. Um, so maybe that could explain why, or maybe she was feeling well, or maybe this really was literally just a psychotic break. Anyway, we'll get into it. So we've heard that Patrick was working at home regularly in an effort to support Lindsay. So he was around for most of the day. So we'll go through a timeline for January 24th. Starts off with Lindsay taking Cora to a doctor's appointment in the morning. And when they got home, they played in the snow with Dawson. Lindsay took some pictures and sent them to her mother. And then that brings us to 4.02 p.m. Lindsay Googled kids Miralax and also take out 3V. 
She used Google Maps to determine how long it would take to drive from the family home to the restaurant 3V, which would be around 5.5 miles from their home, which is an 11-minute drive. One way, 11 minutes. So yeah, return would be 20, 25 minutes-ish, which is, yeah. At 4.47, Lindsay called a CVS in Kingston to ask if they had children's Miralax. The manager said that they didn't, but advised Lindsay that they did have similar medications. At 4.53, Lindsay texted Patrick, who was working in the basement, and said, any chance you wanted to take out from 3V? I didn't cook anything. It's been a long day. Patrick texted back, yes, and Lindsay asked him to check the menu. At 5.06, Patrick texted her and asked what she was going to order. She responded that she'd get the Mediterranean Power Bowl, and Patrick said that he wanted the scallop and pork belly risotto. 5.10 p.m., Lindsay called 3V to order the takeout, and she put the order under Patrick's name. At 5.15 p.m., Lindsay texted the words Pedialax liquid stool softener to Patrick, and he left home to run the errands. So Patrick was seen on CCTV at the CVS on Summer Street in Kingston at 5.32. He was seen in the children's medication aisle. At 5.33, he called Lindsay, and she didn't answer, but she called him back a minute later. She confirmed the medication that he should buy, and he later told police that it seemed like he had interrupted Lindsay in the middle of something by calling her. Patrick arrived at 3V at 5.54 p.m. He paid for the food and left. Patrick arrived home at 6.09 p.m. The house was silent. He called Lindsay to see what was going on. When she didn't answer, he went upstairs to their bedroom and the door was locked. He was able to open it and he noticed blood on the floor as well as an open window. He ran outside and saw Lindsay was laying on the ground injured. She had cuts to her neck and wrists and he called 911. So Patrick can be heard on the 911 call asking Lindsay where are the kids and she replied in the basement. He asked her, what did you do? She replied, I tried to kill myself and jumped out the window. Emergency services arrived at 6.11 p.m. and started tending to Lindsay. That was only two minutes after he got home. So that's a super quick response. But I just, like, I just try and, look, when I was looking at this, just the panic he must have felt. You know, call 911, where are the kids, where are the kids? Like, this all happened literally in a space of two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't imagine, like, walking in, just, like, bringing home your takeout. Yeah, and just everything just unfolds. Silent. And especially when you have little kids, you know how noisy they are, even if they're not talking like the noises they're making with their toys and all that stuff tv mm-hmm. just can't even imagine walking into like a deathly silent house it would be horrifying yeah it's awful um emergency services arrived at 6 11 and started tending to Lindsay. patrick went back into the home and started searching for the kids guys he called trying to get them to answer when patrick entered the basement he began screaming and shock and agony as he found his children he yelled to the police she killed the kids Each child had an exercise band around their necks. The bands had been tied to strangle them. Cora and Callan were found on the floor of a den area in the basement, and Dawson was alone on the floor in Patrick's office. The district attorney said he frantically removed the bands from around their necks and begged them to breathe. The scene was said to be the worst that some of the first responders have ever seen. Town manager Renee Reed said, I know a little bit of what they go through, but when they tell me it's the worst they've ever seen, it's going to have an impact. Lindsay was taken to South Shore Hospital in Weymouth with broken bones in her back and rib cage. These injuries have left her paralyzed below the waist. That's where she used to work, right? Yeah. I don't think at the time, but I think she had worked there in the past. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The children were sent to Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital in Plymouth 
Cowan was soon after med-flighted to Boston Children's Hospital. At 728, Cora and Dawson were pronounced dead. Cowan's condition was listed as critical, but he died from his injuries three days later on January 27th. I remember we were all holding out hope that Cowan would live. Yeah, it's like even for the kids to be pronounced dead at 728, which is essentially an hour and a half, say, like I just, I'm sure they were unconscious, but maybe that just, they just worked on them for that long in an effort, but I just hope they didn't suffer for any amount of time. Lindsay spoke on the phone to Patrick on February 6th. She told him that she heard voices and had a moment of psychosis. After he left the house on January 24th, he asked what voices she heard, and she tells him she heard a man's voice telling her to kill the kids and herself because it was her last chance. Patrick later told police that his wife had never heard voices or used the word psychosis with him before. On February 7th, Lindsay was arraigned from her hospital bed. She was charged with two counts of murder, three counts of strangulation or suffocation, and three counts of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. Not guilty pleas were entered on her behalf, and a probable cause hearing was scheduled for May 2nd. Additional charges, including ones related to Callan's death, are likely to be added. It's interesting because as of the time of recording, she still hasn't been charged with Callan's death. I don't know why like I don't know why they're holding off or what I, I'm interested to see what kind of that strategy or why they haven't charged her with his death so far yeah it's weird mm. um the DA said Lindsay is a danger to herself and others she planned these murders gave herself the time and privacy needed to commit the murders and then strangled each child in the place where they should have been the safest their home she did so with deliberate premeditation and extreme atrocity and cruelty the DA also said that Lindsay had been coherent at the time of the murders. She said that Lindsay deliberately searched online for a restaurant that was far enough away that she would have time to kill each child. It would have taken each child between four to six minutes to die from ligature strangulation. She said she could have changed her mind at any point during that time and removed those bands from their necks, and she did not. She used Apple Maps to make sure she would have enough time to strangle each child before her husband returned from where she had sent him. I remember. When the story first happened, a lot of people were um, sympathetic because of struggles with postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. And a lot of people were kind of giving her the benefit of the doubt. But then I'd say like not everyone, but a good chunk of people after learning about how she like Googled this stuff and kind of seemed um, more tactical about the plan a good chunk of people started feeling less sympathetic, I feel like. Yeah, we asked on Instagram too, and that was a very kind of common theme. People were like, wow, I felt so sorry for her until I found out more at the arraignment about essentially she did plan it. Like she planned it for hours at least. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I, I agree. A lot of people did seem to change their minds once they learned that bit of information. Yeah, instead of it seeming like a spur of the moment break, it seemed like something like more calculated. Yeah. Um, so Lindsay's defense attorney, Kevin Reddington, said that the deaths were a product of mental illness. He told the court that 13 psychiatric medications, uh, he told the court that the 13 psychiatric medications that Lindsay had taken may have caused her to have suicidal and homicidal thoughts. He told the court she suffered a psychotic break. He told people that Lindsay was prescribed some pretty heavy medications. It was a toxic soup. Calling Lindsay over-medicated, Kevin said that during that time that she was being prescribed these medications, they both would go back to the doctor and then they would 
tell her to get off the medication and then start a new medication. They didn't even get her to wean off of it before starting her on something else. If that didn't work, they'd just change it. Um, He said, our society fails miserably in treating women with postpartum depression or even postpartum psychosis. It's medicate, 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 throw the pills at you and then see how it works. And if it doesn't work, increase the dose or decrease the dose, then end up trying another combination of medications. He said, Lindsay was a beautiful person who was thoroughly destroyed by these medications. And this family, as I said earlier, was on a road to hell, and unfortunately, they're not coming back. A stunning development from a new attorney for Lindsay Clancy, who claims she was over-medicated in the months before she allegedly killed her three children and can't be held criminally responsible, what he wants a jury to hear. Her husband actually went to the doctor the week before and, and asked for help and said, you know, you're turning her into a zombie. And it was just a brutal, brutal existence that they were living. Attorney Kevin Reddington went before a judge today seeking permission to have a forensic psychologist visit Lindsay Clancy in her hospital room, something that's not allowed under Massachusetts State Police policy for a detainee for security reasons, which he disputes in this case and said she's had no contact with anyone but her attorneys. Well, this detainee is in the ICU. She cannot move out of her bed. She's surrounded by medicated equipment, nurses, Uh, in and out constantly. There is no fear or need to fear that she's a danger. Reddington revealed that Lindsay Clancy was with her children by herself for 20 minutes that January night while her husband got prescriptions at a CVS and takeout and was never told she shouldn't be left alone. He says mother and children both deserve justice. And I like to think of this case as being justice for Lindsay as well. Um, I don't think anyone has to be lectured about the severe, horrific loss of three beautiful little babies. Lindsay has suffered severe spinal injuries as a result of jumping out the window. An email from her trauma surgeon was included in the court filings. And according to that, she suffered several severe spinal fractures, including a spinal cord transection from the 20-foot fall. The surgeon said she is not expected to recover, which would make her a paraplegic or unable to move her legs or feel anything below her belly button. She also has rib fractures on both sides and cervical spine fractures, which will necessitate wearing a collar around her neck to prevent further injury. She is nearing readiness to leave the hospital, but will have continued extensive rehabilitation needs specifically with respect to the spinal cord injury. She will require specialized spinal cord rehabilitation so she can be taught to self-care for bodily function and use her upper body strength for wheelchair mobility. So a judge agreed that Lindsay could be released to another facility once she was discharged from the hospital, and this new facility would provide specialized treatment for her spinal injuries. So there's an 87-page document that has been released, which is made up of letters of support for Lindsay. We'll link the document on the blog, but it's mainly just people um, taking up for her character and saying she was a nice person. An outpouring of support for accused killer Lindsay Clancy, as her defense team says they've received dozens of letters sympathizing with postpartum depression. She had worked for several years in a local hospital, and a number of co-workers have written letters in support of the defendant and her character. She's described in these letters as an exemplary worker, colleague, and friend. At Clancy's first court appearance last week, defense attorney Kevin Reddington said many of the letters were written by people who knew Clancy personally, 
some who worked with her at Massachusetts General Hospital in the Labor and Delivery Department. Reddington says they describe her as a good mother, friend and co-worker, arguing her medication caused her to spiral. Your Honor, saw, I think there's probably close to 50 letters that have been submitted to you, and I know you read every one of them. The incredible outpouring of support by other nurses that work at Mass General Hospital. The fact that these women have a vigil, that they, that they write the letters to this court imploring you to understand that you sentence, by his bail issue, the woman before you, who was a beautiful person, who was thoroughly destroyed by these medications. Uh, for example, one of her nursing colleagues said, colleagues said, we do very little to concretely help a mother who is suffering with postpartum depression. And when it comes to postpartum psychosis, we fail completely. Lindsay and her loving husband, Pat, were desperately seeking help and were betrayed by an inadequate medical system that has not devoted enough resources nor time learning how to help our new mothers. And it's interesting because... I'm sure a lot of her friends and coworkers work in healthcare. And especially for Lindsay, as a labor and delivery nurse, you would think that this was something she was probably like a topic she was quite familiar with, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Interesting. I, I don't think I've ever seen a similar case where people have had almost a hundred pages of, you know, character witness letters written for them. It's yeah, an interesting one. Yeah. So one thing in this case that's kind of been a bit of a point of contention for some people is that they did create a GoFundMe. The GoFundMe, I believe, was created before the baby passed away. So it was essentially said to be for his medical care and for other medical care. GoFundMe is still live. As of time of recording, it's raised $1,068,000. Um, We don't usually read out the whole GoFundMe, but these are Patrick's words. So I think a lot of them are very interesting. I'll read out most of it. I'll put the whole thing on the blog if you want to check it out. But basically it says the GoFundMe is intended to help Pat pay for medical bills, funeral services, and legal help. This assistance is especially needed because Pat will be unable to work for the foreseeable future as he weathers this painful life-altering tragedy. Um, So that was posted right after the murders, four days after on January 28, they posted the update from Pat where he spoke about kind of the whole situation. He said, thank you for your love and support. The warmth I've received from the community is palpable and your generosity gives me hope that I can focus on some sort of healing. I've seen all of your messages and contributions, including some from people I haven't seen in over a decade and many I've never met. I see and appreciate every one of you. A lot of people have said they can't imagine and they're right. There's absolutely nothing that can prepare you. The shock and pain is excruciating and relentless. I'm constantly reminded of them and with the little sleep I get, I dream about them on repeat. Any parent knows it's impossible to understand how much you love your kids until you have until you have them. The same goes for understanding the devastation of losing them. Cora, Dawson and Callum are the essence of my life and I'm completely lost without them. He then goes on to kind of talk about Lindsay and the kids. He said, my family was the best thing that ever happened to me. I took so much pride in being Lindsay's husband and her dad. I always reminded myself that each day with them was a new gift. Callan usually woke up first and would rest his head on my shoulder for a few minutes as he adjusted to morning. Dawson typically sang or spoke his thoughts out loud for a while before we'd go get him. Cora was a big girl and would simply walk downstairs. I can still vividly picture her coming into the living room each morning with her hair a mess and a smile on her face. We always started our days together, reading books, cuddling up on the couch and playing with magnet tiles. Then he goes on to things they liked doing. They liked going skiing, going on vacation, out on the boat. 
like he he writes paragraphs and paragraphs about each child so I'll just read a little bit so you can get kind of a idea of what each child was like he said Cora had an infectious laugh and was stunningly beautiful she was the cautious one but it was really because she was so caring she wanted she used to say she wanted to be a doctor and a mama when she grew up and she would practice by giving Callan checkups he said that Dawson had beautiful bold brown eyes that beamed with friendship he was naturally humorous and generous beyond the norm of a typical toddler and he was always willing to share his toys. For all the love he received, he always gave back more. His best quality was pure kindness. He loved trucks, tractors, dinosaurs, poor patrol, worker guys and being outside. About Callan, he said, Callan was our easygoing child. I always said because he was the third child, he had to adapt and he did easily. He was born with hardly any fuss and was by far our best sleeper. He was just an incredibly happy and vibrant baby, constantly smiling. Our nickname for him was Happy Callan. He was sitting on his own and you could in- see he was enjoying his growing independence as he would grab any object within reach. He also said Callan died with enormous courage despite being so little. Maybe it was his way of demonstrating what I need to do to press forward. I will always draw my inspiration from him. He will be my little hero. And then with a lot of grace and like at the time we asked people what they thought about this statement because I don't think I could have the amount of grace that he has when he speaks about Lindsay four days after the murder. I'll read this bit in its entirety because it's interesting and kind of gives an idea about their relationship. He says, I want to share some thoughts about Lindsay. She's recently been portrayed largely by people who have never met her and never knew who the real Lindsay was. Our marriage was wonderful and diametrically grew stronger as her condition rapidly worsened. I took as much pride in being her husband as I did in being a father. I felt persistently lucky to have her in my life. I still remember the very first moment I laid eyes on her and I can recall how overcome I was with the kind of love at first sight you only see in the movies. It really didn't take long before I was certain I wanted to marry her. We said I love you to each other multiple times daily as if it was a reflex. We habitually started every morning with a passionate hug, yielding a sigh of relief like we had each received the perfect medicine. If too much time passed without a hug, she'd ask, did you forget? We mutually understood the reality that people can have bad bad days, but we stuck to the rule that one one of us got lost, the other was there to bring them home always. She loved being a nurse, but nothing matched her intense love for our kids and a dedication to being a mother. It's all she ever wanted. Her passion taught me how to be a better father. He then finished off um, about Lindsay by saying, I want to ask all of you that you find it deep within yourselves to forgive Lindsay as I have. The real Lindsay was generously loving and caring towards everyone, me, our kids, family, friends, and her patients. The very fibers of her soul are loving. All I wish for her now is that she can somehow find peace. Just the last paragraph, um, he says, Cora, Dawson, and Callan, you gave me so much in your short time here. I don't know if the pain will ever go away, but I'll do my best to carry on in your honour. Dada loves you so much and will always remember you. It's just I can't even imagine having the, I don't know, the ability to be that articulate and that gracious four days after all your kids died and still be able to, you know, um, articulate kind of loving thoughts towards your wife who had essentially caused this situation I know she was unwell but I just it's so soon for him to be able to be so gracious it's kind of awe-inspiring really there's been a few different cases I think like Kylie Rodney's family also like wrote a really well-written statement where Mm -hmm. I'm like blown away by how well-written it is and how well they're able to articulate their thoughts and such like a nice way i'm like i 
I feel like I couldn't do that not under duress or stress or anything like that. I wonder if, you know, obviously I feel like that statement would have taken a very long time to write. So, you know, as kind of even almost a process, a way to process his grief, I'm sure he spent a lot of time putting the words down, you know, talking about each child and kind of telling everyone what they were like. I have no doubt it was probably helpful with his grief, but still just so soon after, it's amazing. Yeah, I guess it was probably therapeutic in a way. Yeah. but um. I know like a lot of people had like mixed thoughts, I guess, about like what he wrote about Lindsay, but then I feel like people have to kind of put themselves in his shoes or just think about if it was your partner or spouse or someone that you love. And if you knew this person and they were literally fine and in your belief, since you know this person well, like it really was like a mental break or just something bad happened with like the medication reactions where you're like this was not them like this isn't the person I've known for years like I still feel like I would want to be there for them and not necessarily defend them but try to understand uh, advocate for them and try to get the world to kind of understand like that this wasn't them and like he clearly still loves her like he's not just going to stop loving her especially when it, it wasn't like she didn't continually one seems like she did this out of mental illness yeah i also think one thing that you kind of have to remember is now essentially Lindsay is all he has left he's got no children he you know and even now he's essentially going to have to care for his wife that she probably won't be able to walk again it'd be a massive adjustment um yeah i can't i just can't even fathom being in that situation really yeah and he's probably still gonna lose her to an extent because i doubt she's gonna just be walking free after this she's probably gonna have some sort of either like punishment or has to be in treatment or I don't know we um did ask on Instagram too what people kind of thought about the million dollar GoFundMe you know as we said it's still open at some at some point in some fundraisers they pick a kind of goal and then stop the donations at when they've reached that point this one is still open so I don't know what their goal end up will be in and some some people are like it's good he doesn't have to worry about his finances you know no doubt he really can't work at the moment someone also said not a penny should be used for her legal fees and also questioned if it was legal to kind of use the money for that um yeah purpose which is an interesting point um a lot of questions like why does he actually need a million dollars which but All like I can't is- imagine going back to work anytime soon after something as traumatic as this. And like this legal process is obviously going to be ongoing. I'm I'm have no doubt it will drag out for a while, especially based kind of combined with her health conditions. And who's this- gonna be responsible for the the medical bills of yeah. even though the kids have passed away, I'm sure there's still medical bills, which is shitty, but plus true. her medical bills now, like you know. Um I'm just trying to see if there's anything interesting. Unnecessary unless it's been donated. A lot of the comments were like, I hope it's not being used for her in court. Sorry, I can't get on board with this. Um, so what what they are planning to use the GoFundMe for is a little bit ambiguous. They probably actually don't even really know at the moment, I have no doubt. Um, but in the end, people donate, are not forced to donate. If someone wants to support him in that way, that's their prerogative. Like someone donated $7,500 as a single donation. Man, I wish I had that much money that I could <laughs> donate that much money. So anyway, we'll put the link to the GoFundMe on the blog if you want to check it out and read his whole statement on there as well. 
So we said earlier that Lindsay hadn't been diagnosed with postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. We've had some co- like um, comments on our Instagram saying, why aren't you calling it what it is? Essentially, it's it hasn't been called anything by the experts. She wasn't diagnosed with it. Maybe she They just will. said she had general anxiety disorder. Yeah. So maybe once they kind of get into the court proceedings, I don't know if they can retroactively diagnose her with it, but she essentially wasn't diagnosed with either PPD or PPP. Um, her defense team are arguing though that she was suffering with one or both because you can suffer from them together. I know that some people may not be familiar with what they are. So postpartum depression is a mental health condition where you feel sad, hopeless, or anxious for more than two weeks after childbirth. It is the number one health issue in childbirth and affects up to 20% of all women. Some of the symptoms are irritability, guilt, having difficulty feeling bonded with your baby, having issues feeling connected to your friends and family, crying a lot, feeling tired, sleeping or eating more or less than usual, and having thoughts about hurting your baby. Uh, Postpartum depression can also happen in men, adoptive parents, and grandparents. I feel like as I've had two kids, a lot of those symptoms um, sometimes come along with childbirth as well like feeling tired I felt tired for about three years <laughs> you know things like that and I feel like it's 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 often hard to diagnose because some of them are probably just things that come along with having a baby but and they're like vague yeah like you know feeling tired sleeping and eating more like less than usual which you can do when you have a baby because you're so busy you're so you know irritability mm-hmm. yes absolutely <laughs> yeah so sometimes I feel like it is hard to diagnose what is kind of a more normal um, thing to happen after childbirth and when it becomes an actual problem that you need to start dealing with. Mm -hmm. So postpartum psychosis is a rare mental health condition. People with psychosis have an altered experience of reality and this interferes with their ability to function normally in everyday life. They call it PPP and it usually starts suddenly in the first couple of weeks after childbirth. Symptoms can include paranoia, dramatic mood changes, hallucinations, delusions, suicidal and homicidal thoughts this uh, psychosis only happens in one or two women out of every thousand but the risk is higher if you do have a history of mental health issues such as bipolar or if you or your mother or sister have had ppp before causes of both of these conditions are still not certain but it's thought to kind of be a combination of genetics personal medical history personal mental health history as well as the emotional and hormonal changes that come along with childbirth She never indicated that she was hallucinating, delusional, or had disordered thoughts or speech. Definitely a danger to herself. Massachusetts mom Lindsay Clancy allegedly killed her three young kids. Now, moms around the country who have experienced postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis are sharing their stories. When you're in psychosis, it just, you're not there, it's not her. Christina Beetham was overjoyed when her daughter Mia was born. I just thought I was like so happy. I was like on cloud nine. But postpartum symptoms also began to appear. While I was in the hospital, like I was laying there and I distinctly remember a little shadow moving by the bathroom and it freaked me out. There would be like birds that would fly to the window and I would like swear that it was like an ancestor that passed away, like a grandma. Which at first it was very comforting. And it wasn't till night when like I was started getting scared that I'm like something is might be wrong. I'm like, why won't she leave me alone? About one or two mothers out of one thousand will experience postpartum psychosis. Basically it's a psychotic episode, which means the individual may have hallucinations, delusions. Um, they're really obviously not thinking straight and getting disconnected from reality. 
Christina's friend and husband brought her to a psychiatric hospital as an involuntary patient, but she didn't realize anything was wrong until days into her stay. I was like screaming and crying. I did not want to go. I didn't want to be away from my baby. I was very fighting it. Because when you're in psychosis, you're like, what's wrong with you? Like, why can't you just be happy for me? But looking back, it really was what they said, postpartum psychosis. Dr. Pagato explains that hormone changes and life changes may cause postpartum symptoms. There's a lot going on hormonally after childbirth. Now there's also a lot going on in your life after childbirth, and any mom knows this. So what we also might have going on is sleep deprivation, a lot of changes physically in mom's body, a lot of worries, a lot of anxieties. Now there's this baby that we have to take care of. Um, I did find an interesting article that I'll pop up on the blog too, but it had a lot of stats regarding these type of cases. In California, for example, more than 100 women are in prison for killing their children. 40% of these women took their babies' lives before they were a year old, and 70% of these women are serving life sentences. In other countries, such as England, Canada, Australia, Japan, Brazil, and Sweden, they have specific laws specifically for these kind of cases. Most are modelled after Britain's Infanticide Act, which says if a woman harms her child within a year of giving birth, it is presumed she suffered from a postpartum mental illness. She's often sentenced to treatment and not incarceration. That's that's pretty cool. Not cool, but like it's nice that they're, I don't know, I feel like I'm saying all the wrong things. <laughs> it's nice that they take Recognize it it. into consideration that- yeah this person could have been a good person and just something bad happened to them. They don't need to be in jail for the rest of their life. They need help. Yeah. Um, so according to this same article, two thirds of women who kill their children following childbirth suffer from postpartum psychosis and up to 29% of mothers who kill their kids also kill themselves and an even higher percentage attempt suicide. So just some interesting stats. This is something that happens all the time. You know, if you Google mother kills child postpartum psychosis, mother kills child postpartum depression, it happens very, very frequently. Um, I think we've spoken about it in some of the mums who murder cases that we've spoken about before as well. It happens all the time. And essentially there doesn't seem to be much happening in terms of looking more at what can be done to prevent it. Um and treatment options for women who are suffering. I think there's so much that is unknown about women and hormones and things like that, which would probably like include postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, and even just regular hormonal stuff after you have a baby. Because I, over the last couple of years, I know this isn't like comparable to having any of those things before anyone like tries to <laughs> tell me, um, you. yeah, get mad at me. Um, but for the last couple of years, I had really bad like PMS symptoms where I honestly feel like a totally different person and I was so depressed and I would just be so miserable for a few days and I'd feel like insane and I finally got put on a birth control that helped with it so it's not as bad anymore but even my doctor then when we were talking about it he was like there's so much that people that doctors don't know about like PMSing or why people PMS or how hormones like affect your mood and body and everything. So I was like, great, good to know. Like- and also like I, and I, again, I'm not likening this to postpartum psychosis or postpartum depression, but I always see like, you know, those memes where they're like, wow, I thought I was crazy. And then I got my period because you, I, I feel like as a woman, sometimes you don't actually realize what's happening in your body until it happens. And then you're like, oh yeah, okay. That, that must be why. 
Yeah. And even when like my the birth control that I was on made it a lot better, like I'll still feel like a little emotional and like a little more hungry and wanting snacks, but not anything compared to what it was. But then there was like a some birth control shortage where they had to put me on like another different pill temporarily. And that made it like a billion times worse. Like I was like crying all the time for no reason. I was like, I feel like I would like look in the mirror and I'd look like a different person to myself. Like I hated myself. I was so depressed and I was so exhausted. It was miserable. So it's crazy how just like hormones and medications and all these different things can just totally alter your personality and mindset. And in Lindsay's case, like I'm obviously, you know, what she did was horrendous and horrific and I don't even know what the punishment should be for her. But when you think about the hormones combined with all that medication, that's a Mm -hmm. lot. Like it's not like stopping it and starting it and stopping it and starting it. Yeah. So anyway, I'll be interested to see what comes out in the court proceedings in terms of if there was any more premeditation, like I'm sure that, she, you know, maybe there was other Google searches done which will come out if, if there was, do you know what I mean? Like there are, there, there's a lot of things that could come out once the court proceedings start. Yeah. Um, so just to finish off with her case, there is a photo that was taken at the Clancy home on February 15. I'll put it on the blog. Basically it's their backyard. It's just littered with toys. There's toys everywhere. Um, you know, bright colored toys. Um, and Kevin Reddington, who's her defense attorney, said, one thing that's always been apparent is that Lindsay loved her children. I was in the house. The house is absolutely absolutely loaded with indication of love for the kids. There are photos on the wall, little drawings, all sorts of games, toys, playpens, bassinets in the living room and the dining room. The kitchen was loaded with toys. Virtually their entire house, including the master bedroom, had toys and things for the kids. So obviously giving kids things isn't an indication of how much you love them, but I really feel like as a family, they did love their children and it was just this horrific set of circumstances that led to the tragedy happening. Yeah, sure. Toys, it doesn't show how much you like love them, obviously, no. but it definitely shows that you don't hate them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. It seems like she has a lot of support in people who are willing to vouch for her character. So a lot like, you know, there's been – questions people have raised are like why is everyone feeling sorry for this woman is it because she's kind of you know middle class and white like there's all these questions Mm -hmm. that have come up because there's other cases absolutely where the women have had no access to any mental health treatment any medication and they get they don't get a million dollars in their GoFundMes like it's just an interesting case why I don't know I don't know I, I, I don't know why people are so kind of supportive of Lindsay in turn in regards to and in comparison to other cases, it is an interesting study, really. Yeah, hopefully, if anything comes from it, maybe some laws can change that will, in the future, um, help other women who go through something like this instead of just throwing them in prison. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like because Lindsay did seek help, she tried to get help, and it just mm-hmm. still wasn't enough. Um Maybe that kind of explains more why people feel for her in this case. Yeah, because it's like what more could she have done? Like she was looking to get help. She was trying to get help. She was getting help. And like there was really not much more she could do besides like she put her trust in doctors and it seems like they weren't able to help her. So I don't know. I really don't know what the answer is. I don't know what to think because like you said, it's not – that I feel like sorry for her because what she did was horrible but 
we need to find ways to like prevent something like this from happening again in the future. And I have seen some comments like it's the husband's fault. She shouldn't have been left oh, alone. Oh, yeah, that's so terrible. <laughs> you know, she shouldn't have been left alone. Why did he leave her alone? In the end, he was trying to get medication for his children and to get dinner. That's it. Um, so that's really it for the story so far. I'm interested to hear, well, we've heard a lot of your opinions already, but if listening to this has changed your opinion, shoot us a message. We'd love to see what everyone thinks. Um, there might, there probably won't be many more updates till she goes back to court in May, but if there are any updates, we'll post about them on our Instagram. So definitely follow us there at True Crime Society on Instagram. Um, you can follow our personal accounts as well. If you ever want to see what we're up to, mine is StephSum underscore, Olivia's is TCS Olivia, so you can check those out. And all the notes and everything for this episode will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com, so you can see all the GoFundMe information and all the letters from her friends and coworkers there. And as always, rate and review and subscribe to the podcast do all that leave us some nice reviews because we got like a few rude ones <laughs> so if you like us and haven't done that yet leave, leave us a nice one and if you do listen on spotify too make sure you can just give stars on spotify if it won't let you give five stars and you're trying to it's because you've already given five stars so don't drop it down to four just leave it as five yeah and remember there's always the timestamp. <laughs> on the episodes if you want to skip the chat even though we didn't chat that long this time um i think that's it for this episode um thank you guys for listening i hope you found it interesting and stay safe out there and all that peace out see ya. <laughs>